Right. Well, we came in here yesterday morning knowing Jack and Sheila, and I don't think anybody else really. And amazing, today we come in as, hello, we're chatting all over. You have a hospitality here that is quite amazing. And, and you must understand that. You know, when one gets used to being somewhere, you think everything is, this is normal. But actually, it is, um, we just feel part of you. Can we come join you? <laughs> but there's a, a hospitality here. And um, and really a freedom that is very rich. And you, you must realize that God's given you a, hos- a spirit of hospitality here to make people feel very, very welcome. And, and it's great. So we came in as strangers and we leave. And it's always difficult to leave. Like, how's one going to, what about, I don't know what's going to happen to this one and that one. And what about this? And you now want to know the stories and so on. So thank you so much um, for having us here. Now, yesterday Chris asked me to speak on identity and prophecy, which people don't normally put together, asked me to speak on together, but that is my passion, is identity, out of which comes all the other gifting. And today he's asked me to tell you a bit of my story, which I also haven't told for quite a while, really. So... I don't have an accent. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> now, Greg and I are South Africans, and we grew up in a time, if you know the history of South Africa, it, it was a dark country. It, it, the laws and so on were quite horrendous, quite bad. Um, we had laws in our nation where we... Uh, weren't allowed to mix with anybody of color because we were the superior race. And though we were called a Christian country, our laws were so ungodly that it wasn't Christian at all. But we were kind of, it's a whole brainwashing that goes on and we were told that God had given this nation of South Africa to to the white people and we need people of color to serve us. Um, and so from small you get told these things and of course people, the black people get told you the servants and so you have this kind of awful awful imbalance awful, but you don't know as a kid you don't know what you know something's not right and you can feel something in the atmosphere but you, you don't know what it is and nobody can explain it and you are so scared to actually talk about it because you got pressed down at school and told to keep quiet or I come from an extremely racist background. My dad was English uh, and came to South Africa and married my mother. So um, he didn't have the same outlook. But my mother, South African, very racist, very, very, very strongly racist. And I say it like that because of what God did in me then. And so I just think from, from small, I knew something was wrong. We, we went to church, but we weren't, a, we, didn't, we weren't a Christian family. We went to church very regularly in church, but we weren't a born-again family. When I did become a Christian, 
And, uh, you know, our churches were white church and a black church and a mixed race or colored, we call mixed race colored churches, all very separate. We were taught to be separate. Um, our school history books told the history of white people, the white people's history, but not the black people's history. And you were, it was drummed into your head over and over. So I was in a white church, and we had a few, not black people, but colored, mixed-race people come and be part of our church. And I remember my folks, who weren't Christians, coming to church with me and saying, well, my mother, we're never going back there because they've got this colored people in the church. So you can't, you, you, it blows the mind, doesn't it? It's like, how can you? But it was very real. Our shops had separate entrances, one for white people, and we went in on the carpeted side, and one for black people, which had floorboards. And if I went into the shop and the person behind the counter was serving a black person, and I would be 10 years old, they would have to leave the black person to serve me because I was superior, but the black person was older. You understand? It's mind-blowing stuff. And um, it, it makes one confused. It makes one... Uh, you feel the anger in, in the air. And now it's called xenophobia. We didn't know really what it was. But it's so damaging and so against the Bible, really. So against the Bible. Um, and anyway, we lived in an area um, which was quite near to a mixed-race area. So when we made, became, what do you call them, cell groups, growth groups, life groups, a group by any other name is a group, life group. When we were in our life group, which was in our house, it was actually this, this very couple, the colored mixed-race couple, who were our leaders, which was, uh, I mean, they were brilliant. And they were our leaders, So, but they were very involved. Having been oppressed, they were very involved in um, the political side, what is called the political side, but it's the social justice side. And uh, they would come in and question us as white people how we saw the Bible. Well, I knew the Bible. And I would get quite upset. How dare they? How dare they say these things? But you know, God in his cleverness and his mercy and his grace had put me in a group to be questioned like this so that I can look at the Bible and find out what's going on. But anyway, this couple one day, they brought um, a black couple to our home um, who, who their, their shack had been burnt down by the security police. And they'd fled and were living with uh, the colored mixed-race uh, couple who then brought them to our home for Bible study. And it was quite risky because you didn't do things like this. All against the law. Mixing was against the law. Um, so very scary. And um, we had a, the Bible study as normal. But we were very aware as a group that we had foreigners in our midst, 
yet his people who belong to the nation. Do you understand? And at the end of the meeting, we had coffee and so on. And I, and I am sure very patronizingly, went to the mama, went to the woman and said, you are so welcome in my house. You can just hear me, eh? You're so welcome. And she was lovely. You know, without, uh, uh, she just said to me, well, I've been in your house and in our culture, if you come to your house, you must come to our house. And I thought, oh boy, (laughs) oh no, oh no. And I knew that she came from one of the most violent townships, violent as in not gangster violent, but where security police, they were standing up for the rights of people, and the security police were most active there, um, shooting, burning down 200 shacks at a time and so on, to keep the oppression going, and that was the last place I wanted to be. Also... We as white people didn't even know really how to get to the townships because they were blocked by security police. And so you couldn't just get in. So with my mouth, I said to the woman, I'll come visit you. In my head, I thought, no way, no way on earth. But you know, when they left, it bothered me that I'd lied. And it bothered me so much that about two days later I thought, let me go and see. Let me just go and see. Just to get the guilt out of my head, really, let me go and see. So I found a woman, a white woman, who'd been in the township once. And I said, asked her to go with me. You know, it was so risky. I was so scared. My, we've got three daughters. They were small at school. And it was a matter of, I told our life group what time my girls were coming out of school in case I didn't come back alive. You can imagine the white person going into where people have been oppressed. I, and we were always taught that if you go in the township, you will die. And now I'm going into the township. Um, I sweated. I was so scared. It wasn't come Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. You know, we do that here in the safe places, but it's when you're out there in the risky places that all you've got is the knowledge of him and knowing is in you and this book to follow, really. So as we drove into the township, my hope was that one of the security police would stop us and send us back, then I could say to God, I tried. I tried. I tried to manipulate God in so many ways. You can't. He just won't allow it. And that's what I love about him. He he doesn't have to fight for his honor or, or try to prove anything to us because he's God. So I think that morning... He closed the security police's eyes because we got through into the township, which is quite unusual. And when we got there, they came to meet us at the car and um, took us deep. The shacks are one on top of the other, and they took us deep in the shacks. So I couldn't even escape if I wanted to. Um, But you know, it was an eye-opening experience to see what the government had done in oppression, 
400 people to one bucket system toilet, 400 people to one tap. You understand? And, uh, and they kept people away so that nobody would be able to see what was going on. Um, I enjoyed every moment of being in there. I came alive. It's like I sat there thinking, this is what I've been born for. But I'm not coming back. <laughs> you understand? But this is what I've been born for. Because, you know, you see, I said yesterday, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, before time, God has prepared good works for us to do. And all of ours is different. Now, that would have been the last good works that I would have chosen for me from a racist background, so unwilling, so scared, so just wanting to run. Lord, I'll do anything else for you, anything, anything, anything. Just give me something. Have you ever said that to God? Anything else, but not that. And then, you know, you know in here, you know you've got to obey, but here the fight and the scream goes on, you know. And I know I've got to give in sometime, but just in case I can change his mind. <laughs> but you know, when he prepares good works in advance for us to do, it's because he's already put everything in us. Work, the Bible says, work out what Christ has put in. Sometimes we're waiting for something to drop from the sky, and we're waiting and we're waiting, but it's already in us, everything. Then we go bit, step by step, and we, as we see something works, the confidence grows to actually do a bit more and a bit more. So when I was leaving the township that day, thinking, I've done my bit, Lord, see what I've done, you see me here. The people in the, the, in the shack, uh, now that day I think I led three or four or five people to the Lord, uh, because it's, it's easy to do. Um, when you, the gospel just flows out of one when you're in those kind of situations, in any situation, but those kind of situations. And people were just open. They'd never seen, you know, two funny white women come in with love instead of people with whips and bullets and so on. And it's a matter of, now this is God, they said to us. And you think, oh, that is true. This is God. He brings reconciliation. He doesn't divide us. He, he brings us together. And he wanted our, our nation to be healed from the disgusting laws. It's horrible. Um, and anyway, as I was leaving, one of the men said to me, now next week when you come back, <laughs> you do a verse and then we'll do a verse and we'll put them together and we'll have a, you know, like a Bible study. And I was so silly. I said, okay. <laughs> Don't I learn? <laughs> so the next week, I, I, I fought in my head for a week. And the next week, um, I went. But the other woman didn't go with me, so I was alone. And um, again, the fear, the sweat, and so on. But then we had the study. And the thing that turned my heart was... I chose, for God so loved the world. You see, you know, the evangelist dream. He sent his only son, that whoever believes will have eternal life. And I quoted that, and we spoke about it. And they chose one Peter, cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Do you see the difference? 
I came with the hardness of, I wanted them all to get saved so that they can do their own work and I didn't need to go back into the township because it's too dangerous and it's against the law and all those things. Um, but they came with a care. Cast all your cares on because they'd suffered so. And uh, I realized that actually the people who I thought I was going to change were there to change me. And so out of those two trips came 20 years of God actually working on me. And though I did stuff um, in the townships, it was what the township people did to me that, that where the difference is. You see, God prepares good works in advance for us to do, and we think, I must go and do them because I must prove that I can do them. God says, well, actually, I chose those because you need changing yourself on the inside, and therefore what I've chosen for you will actually change you. It's the root. I've chosen to change you. Then I think, well, this is a pretty hectic root. I must be quite tough. <laughs> but, you know, I learned to know God in the most amazing way that he, you know, this book is true. When you're working with people who are oppressed, who are um, being shot, who are disliked, and so on, and and they've got no nobody to stand for them. Isaiah 61 was the most spot-on um, verses today, and Isaiah 58, and so on, because that's the role of the church. That's who we are. If if we aren't going to fight for people, who is? That's that's our job. And when you when you go into a township and there are hundreds and hundreds of people are hungry, and it's just me. And you see, there was my part of the suffering, small by comparison to the people who I, my friends, was rejection of family, wider family, um, because I joined the other side, you know. Um, and so my wider family wouldn't come near a house. It was security police who finding out who I was, and then um, I can tell you story after story, which I won't, but of dealings with the security police, of um, even in our church, people not understanding why I would do this, saying that I was wrong, it's all, you know, you, it's not right that you should be doing that because the, the law says you may not, and I say, but the, the, the country law says I may not, but the Bible says Jesus has broken down the dividing wall. Who do I obey? But I even tried to manipulate God in that. Lord, they're saying I'm breaking the law here. Uh, and so surely I must obey that. And God just said, read the Bible. Okay. Um, but, you know, I had to learn to trust what he said in here, that he will feed the hungry. So I would go into places. The one time I went into one of the shacks, and um, led the mother and father to the Lord. And father had TB, I think. Mother had no job. Children, everything is paid. You've got to pay for every single thing in, in South Africa. There's no net to catch anybody. And so schooling, all, and it's not private schools, it is all schools. You've got to pay your school fees. If you can't pay, you don't go to school. So these kids were all in the shack. So I led, gave the gospel, 
hugs, prayers. Um, and as I was leaving, they said, we are hungry. And I think, well, you know, the enemy said, quotes James to me. The Bible says, do not just tell people to go and be warm and so on. You've got to feed them. And the enemy, he knows the Bible too. And he uses it as a weapon against us, an accusing weapon. And so I felt so bad. You feel small because you're asking God in the shack, please, will you feed them? And then you walk out and it's like, and I went around the corner and I cried and said, Father, why do you do this to me? It's all about me, you see. Uh, why do you do this to me? Uh, because what about the food? And I went back about three days later. I didn't go back immediately. I didn't have the nerve. Because, you know, my faith level was about like this. I'm not the, I wasn't pumping the faith of God. It was desperate. I was desperate. Desperate times to, because I'm working with people and they're all looking to me and I had nothing but him. And you see, we can stand in church and say, oh, he is enough until you get out there and you think, oh, is he going to answer? Is it real? Is it, will he? Um, and I discovered he will. So I went back three days later and the whole row of people in the shacks came running out and they said, do you know what happened? When you left, the bakery van broke down in front of the shack and we all got cakes and pies and things that people would never have got. And God said to me, you see? You see? And I, he taught me how to just trust him. The answers weren't always immediate, but I had to trust that when I asked, he would do, and he did in his way and his time. Some people he healed, some people he didn't. And it was just walking through that. We went into a shack, and there was a woman who hadn't uh, walked for about 15 years, and we prayed with her. Again, we, we, all we do is pray with faith like this, and we walked out. And we were going to do an open-air evangelism. And a little while later, I heard, Angela! And yes, she came running. She'd got, we'd, we'd left thinking, well, we prayed. And then she came to join us as part of the evangelism team. And you see, it's things that I saw God do stuff which are it's miraculous. But at the time, when I look back, it's miraculous, but... At the time it was, this is what we do. This is the role of the church. He said, now go and go into communities, go into the world, and these signs will follow. So I just expected them. I'm, I'm doing my job. You must do your job, Lord. And so my ex expectation of God to come through for me was so high. Um, excuse me? Yeah, I am, I am thinking. Well, so go on. Yeah? So after a number of years, um, a community of people, uh, I opened up quite a few communities. In the end, I can go, could go into any community and, and I just say, Lord, where's the man of peace? Give me the shack of peace, you know? And he would show me where to go because he said to the disciples, go. And um, and 
stay in the in the place where I send you, the man of peace. And even that works. I had nobody to teach me because nobody had done this before. And so I just took the Bible to see, well, I'll, I'll follow what Jesus taught. And it worked. I, he would show me the, the house of peace. I would knock there. They would let me in. And that's where I would go daily to go and visit. And then other people would come. And soon I had a whole church load of people just from the one house. And, and I took all this for granted because the Bible said it would happen. But in the one community that I went into, um, I never realized that I was the first white person to come in there. It was quite a... Uh, uh, they were fighting against injustice and they didn't really want white people there. But they allowed me in. So you see the miracles. And after five months of just getting to know people... The people came to me and said, um, so you live in a brick house. We live in shacks. You talk about Jesus and how wonderful he is and so on. Well, ask this wonderful Jesus of yours to give us each a brick house too. Why can't we have a brick house? And we are talking about a community. Well, not one brick house, but a community of people. But I'd seen God do so much already that I just thought, he can do that. Why can't he do that? So I opened my big mouth. And I said to them, Jesus will give you a house. And when I drove away, I thought, you silly, 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 silly woman. Number one, you do not mess with the poor. You know, God has no favorites, but he has a bias towards the poor. Because wealthier people, you can, you, you can hire a lawyer and so on. But with the poor, they've got nobody. So even if they don't know God, they still call out. They still call out, so you don't mess with the poor. And then it was God's name, but then it was my own pride too, you know. It's like, they're not going to like me. Well, it'll be more dangerous than that, really. And um, and I just felt God say, no, it's okay. I, I said to him, even if I got it wrong, come and rescue me anyway. Do you see? Even if I got it wrong, please come and rescue for the sake of the people. And he said to me, yes, okay, but no fundraising. Now, how do you... No fundraising... Well, I'm not a project person. I'm not a, uh, let's now go and try and build houses. I'm just not, I know nothing about it. But you know, he would tell me in dreams or from the Bible how to do it, where to go, what to say, which lawyers to go to, and so on. And bit by bit he taught me. But this is the God. You understand yesterday when I say we can do these things, I come from a background of seeing what he's done, and that's why I come into the UK saying, come on, church, do you know who you are? We can do these things. We can stand against the onslaught of apartheid and change things. That is amazing. That is amazing. And it was first just me, then a small team, then the church came. And, and so on, and it spread eventually throughout New Frontiers, really, the whole thing on the poor. Um, from one person just saying, well, 
God said, so I'd better go and do. You think, but who am I? I used to think, who am I? But I am nobody but him. One man with God is mightier than an army of 10,000. Bring it on. Bring on the security police. Do you see? And it's not an arrogance. It's a fighting for people. Anyway, five years later, five years later, we saw the first house go up. It wasn't magic. It wasn't, he said it, now we do it, which I hoped they would grow out of the ground or something. But it wasn't, because he was training me. He was showing the people in the township he's interested in the whole man, not just the gospel. You know, sometimes we just want to go give the gospel and escape. But God loves the whole person. And he trained me how to serve people, um, how to fight for justice, how to how to serve the poor without being patronizing and how to be served by them in fixing my spirit, which was so broken and needed fixing. And so people in the township poured more into me. And, you know, to be loved by people who you've oppressed is miraculous. And the first house that went up, we... um, uh, hired a big lorry, put all people at the back. In South Africa, the health and safety, she not the same as here. And so you could get a 100 people on the back of a lorry just hanging over. And I'd, it, was, it was a different piece of land, that we, and I took them to see the first house, and I thought everybody would be fascinated by the bricks, but they stood in a long queue to use the inside loo to use the toilet. You know, when you've been forced to use bucket system, which is so public, we don't realize how dignity is taken away from people. And they stood in the queue, and after each flush, everybody clapped. (laughs) But you know, I had to go around the corner and just weep because I took my two toilets in my house for granted. You understand? That's what oppression does. It's disgusting. And God had to open my eyes to see what I just took for granted as my right. It's not my right at all. It's his grace. But because he's given me grace, I have to fight for others. And so I feel that you as a church, you're going to be fighting for others. That's why Isaiah 61 was read this morning. And I'm thinking, she doesn't know what I'm going to talk about. And it was spot on. It was, it was so spot on. Because if the church doesn't do this, who's going to do it? And so, you know, when I look, look back on my history in the townships, a lot of our white people now, white South Africans, uh, feel a bit guilty and broken and so on because they didn't do anything. That could have been me. But I'm so grateful to God for giving me the opportunity. He gave me the opportunity to do something um, and see the change and and make friends. And the cost was high. I can't say the cost wasn't high. Worth every moment. I don't wish it on anybody else, the cost, but it was worth every moment to be part of the release, the overcoming, you know, in South Africa with one man, one vote, and so on. 
and seeing a change come. There's still lots of problems there, but the back of this thing was broken. And I'm so grateful to God for that. And people have said to me, um, oh, you're going to get massive jewels because it was a big part. It, I, it, you know, I was involved in lots. You're going to get these massive jewels because look at all the stuff you did in this massive ministry. And I say, no. That will surprise you, some of you too. No. I will get this jewel for obedience. You know, we get rewarded for obedience. The end result belongs to him. He planted churches. He did the housing. I couldn't do it. Well, I don't know about housing. He did it. I just followed what he said. But he did it. He saved the people. He healed. He All the stories that I could tell you for another three hours, he did that. So the glory of the end result belongs to him. I get the obedience one. And that's all I say to you. Be obedient. Be obedient. Whether it works or not, the end result is up to him. Be obedient so that one day you can lay that jewel of obedience in front of him. It's obedience. And so I haven't been asked to, and that was a, the tiniest bit of the story, the tiniest. There are, there's so much to, to tell. But I haven't been asked to tell, speak about this for so long that I found it quite interesting that Chris would ask. So somehow, I think prophetically, there's something that God is going to require of you in the future to actually stand for people where everybody else says, no, we don't want them. It's to say, we'll have them. To actually open homes for people, to to welcome people in, and I don't mean to have everybody in your house sleeping over, but have meals together. I heard who said it's about food, but it is. It's about food, it's about sitting together, and you're going to see many, many people saved because people are waiting for, for somebody to come and be friendly. It's about being friendly to people, and, you know, I felt myself begin to change. I come from a cold family. We don't hug. And we don't really say, I love you. So that's where I came from. And then God said to me, when I go in the townships, after I've been there a while, hug the people. I don't hug. But it wasn't about me. It was about white and black. We didn't really touch or whatever. So to hug somebody is massive, really. But I needed the healing as well. So I started hugging. And you know, when you hug somebody, the power of God actually goes into, into that other person. It's quite amazing. You know the woman with the issue of blood and came and touched Jesus at the corner of his gown. And he said, who touched me? I felt power leave. You know, when we touch somebody on the arm, and that's all you need to do, you say, good morning, and I touch them on the arm. And in, the, in my mind, I say, Father, will you bless them? 
the power that's in me of the Holy Spirit goes through to someone else? Do you know that? And it's, it's funny, in this nation, the, the PC rules is so strict. You may not. You may not. And it's, it's like um, stopping us from actually that touch of, of friendship to people and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I would hug people. And I found they couldn't let me go. And so I would just be in the hug. And when we separated, we looked in each other's eyes and there was a connection. Something happened. And so I was known, you know, when you've got a, a ministry, you get uh, known, you know, um, Jackie Pullinger praising tongues and people, you know, get healed. Mine was I hug and things happen. So I could hug somebody and they were healed. Mm -hmm. Because it's him. And it's just being your normal self and just giving away what he's given us. We are so rich. So ten and a half years ago, we were asked to come to the UK like a sabbatical for six months to serve two New Frontiers churches. We are from the New Frontiers Church in Cape Town. Um, six months in Maidstone and six months in Bermondsey, London. Then we were actually going to Ghana, to West Africa for a season and then back to South Africa. Six months. Ten and a half years later, we are still here. So in the six months, various other elders, friends, asked, what about us? Come to us. So we extended. And we extended. And eventually, I was told by our elders, just ride the wave. God's doing something there. Well, the wave has been pretty big. We wouldn't have in a million years thought that we would be here ten and a half years later. That's, that's quite incredible. But Acts, Acts, in Acts 17, verse 26, it says, Before time, God apportions where we would live. And so if you are here and you're not born in Liverpool, he knew that you're going to live here. That's amazing. And he brings all the skills and all the giftings and who you are and your personality and your background and he brings it into a place because he says, at this point in time, Liverpool needs you with what you've got to offer. And so for me, he put me in the townships. And then he brought me here in a million years. You couldn't have told me that I would live here or Greg would live here. But before time, he knew. It's okay. Before time, he knew that, that we would be here to say to you, come on, come on, Freedom Church. You are so rich in him. You've got everything that I've got, but in a different way. Because everybody's been, you know, good works prepared in advance. We've each got a, our own works prepared. So you can't do what I do, but I can't do what you do. Do you see None of us are gifted to do somebody else's stuff. And so if, if I chickened out and never went into the township, 
You know, maybe somebody would have been stirred over there, but they wouldn't have been able to play my part. Do you see? And we've each got a part to play in the healing of Liverpool. Hand-picked. You, each of you are hand-picked. Isn't that amazing? Hand-picked for the job. Father God, are you up for the challenge? Yes. South Africans, we don't say yes. We say yes. So we get teased with our yes. I wonder, look at me moving back now. I wonder, I just, I, I just feel God wants to do something of a, and it'll be quick. Be quick. Of a commissioning for a new day. Is that okay? He speaks well done over you. Well done. Because he can only commission for the next season when you've completed the last one and you've done well. Otherwise you go around the bush again and again. But you've come through lots. And he wants to commission you for a new day with all the power, all the gifting, everything that is needed for your part um, in, in, in the role that you will play in Liverpool. And yesterday we had Graham Sharples here. And he prophesied 560 people. I'm going to look. I want 500. I, I feel, really feel that I want 560 people as a starter. Do you see? But it is. It is. Think big. Don't think small. Think big. Lord, you said that we must help heal the nation or, or, the, or first Liverpool and so on. Well, then, thank you for who we have got. But now, to move in more further along, give us more people.